Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here at Lighthouse. If you're joining us over at the Beacon, thanks for being here today. And also, if you're joining us online, thanks for watching this morning. We appreciate that. So has anyone seen that movie, Hacksaw Ridge? Yeah, so quite a few of us here. Um, I actually watched the documentary uh, that that movie was based upon. Um, and I'll tell you what, Desmond Doss is quite a guy. He was a soldier in World War II. Uh, for those of you that didn't see the movie or haven't heard about this, but he was a devout Christian, um, and he was a conscientious objector, meaning that he wouldn't fire a gun, he wouldn't kill anyone. He just wanted to be a medic, uh, but his battalion tried to get him kicked out of their battalion. They called him the weakest link uh, of their group, uh, but eventually he was uh, able to become a medic in their battalion, and he went to war with them. So this battle was at, uh, on the island of Okinawa in Japan, and uh, they had come up to uh, Hacksaw Ridge, and they were told, his battalion was told, to take the ridge. So what would happen is they would go up, climb up that ridge, they'd get over the top of it, and there's kind of an open area, and the Japanese would wait until they were all out there in the open, and then they would open up fire with machine guns and artillery, and this one time, only 50 of his fellow soldiers actually were able to retreat, and there were about 100 of them stranded up on the top, either wounded or killed. And so Desmond Doss climbed up that ridge by himself in the face of battle, heavy fire, and he crawled on his hands and knees until he found a wounded soldier. And then he would grab the wounded soldier by the back of his, his shirt, his uniform, and he would drag him, sometimes as far as 100, 200 yards, across open fire, you know, artillery and machine gun fire, over to the edge, and he had to put this rope together with two loops in it, and he would put that on the soldier, and he would lower him down over the edge, standing up in the line of fire this whole time. Now, he did this for 12 hours, continually going and rescuing one soldier after another. And he was quoted as saying, I was praying the whole time. I just kept praying, Lord, please help me get one more. Desmond Doss weighed 150 pounds at the time, and these soldiers, with all their equipment on them, were probably 200, 250 pounds. And he just continued to rescue them. He ended up rescuing 75 of his fellow soldiers. Now, I had, uh, in the documentary, they interviewed one of the Japanese soldiers at that time. And he said that he had Desmond Doss in his sights several times. And every time he went to, to shoot, his gun would jam. <laughs> so he had, Desmond Doss had God's protection over him. And those same soldiers who tormented him, made fun of him, made his life terrible uh, in boot camp, ended up praising him and calling him a hero. So Desmond Doss is a modern-day hero. He risked his life for his fellow soldiers, and he lived out what Jesus said in John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Well, I believe we need more Desmond Dosses in our culture today, don't we? We need men and women with extraordinary courage who are willing to take extraordinary measures and risks for God and for others. 
But I believe that each one of us has that potential. Each one of us has the potential to take risks, to be heroes, and it just needs to be unlocked. It needs to be encouraged. It needs to be brought out. And that's why we're doing this series. We're doing a message series right now called Risk Takers, Finding Our Courage in an Unpredictable World. And my hope is that as we hear real-life stories of, of heroes, you know, more recent, like Desmond Doss, and also hear stories from the Bible, that their heroic acts will rub off on us. Because I believe that courage is contagious. So today, we're going to be studying one of the most famous stories in the Bible about taking risks. It's about David and Goliath. Now, before you check out, because many of you have heard this story before, I would encourage you to stay checked in because even as I was studying it this past week, man, there are some pieces of this story that really come to life and are very applicable to our culture today. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Feel free to turn there in your Bibles, on your phones if you would like. Uh, but let me set it up. At this time, Israel is in war with the Philistines. And from what I can tell, it's a pretty equal battle. And uh, King Saul is the king of Israel. David, one of our lead characters in this story, is actually a shepherd off watching his father's sheep. And David's three older brothers, his oldest brothers, are enlisted in the military and are engaged in this battle. So you have the Philistines on one side, the Israelites on the other, and there's this open plain in between them. And every day, a warrior giant named Goliath would come out into the plain and would taunt the Israelites. So we're going to pick up the story. Chapter 17, verse 7. I'm sorry, starting with verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. In verse 10, then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So I'm going to stop there for a second. Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And if you know anything about the story of Saul, Saul became king partly because he was a head taller than everybody else. He was a big man. And so he was terrified, as well as the whole Israelite army. So I think we need to understand the context a little bit. So I looked up what it meant by how tall he was. And Goliath was actually nine feet, nine inches tall. So I'm going to show you what nine feet, nine inches tall looks like. I got our handy-dandy ladder. And if I just climb this up... This is nine feet, nine inches tall. Ben, will you come up here real quick and just stand over there? Ben, how old are you? Ben's 22. Uh, biblical scholars, just stand right there. Biblical scholars believe that David was actually a boy, like maybe 15 or 16 at the most, most likely like 12 or 13. 
So probably not as full grown as what Ben is over here. But even if he was as big as Ben, you can get a context of how big Goliath was compared to David. You can have a seat. Thank you, Ben. And not only that, but we've seen like the world's tallest man, you know, and some of those tall basketball players. And they were like tall and skinny. Not Goliath. Goliath wore armor, just like a shirt, a coat of arms, that weighed 125 pounds. I mean, 125 pounds of clothing is what he was wearing. And in addition to that, his spear, which, uh, you know, was probably 15 feet long, something like that, had a spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. So I brought in my 15-pound weight just to get an idea. This, this is heavy. <laughs> this was on the end of a stick, you know? And so he would use that as a weapon, which was incredible. So Goliath, this giant, is taunting the Israelites, and they're scared to death. So they don't go into battle, and day after day goes by. Eventually, Jesse, who is David's father, gets worried about his sons. And so he calls David in from the fields and says, David, I want you to take these supplies. I want you to take them to your brothers. I also have some bribes to give to their commander, <laughs> commanding officer, so that he'll keep them safe. Um, and he sends that all with David. So David shows up, and immediately he takes all the supplies and puts him with the storage people, and runs down to the army to visit his brothers. And he looks out, and just at that time, Goliath comes marching out into the field, fearless, taunting the Israelites. And David, in verse 26, says this. I love this. He says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, just so you know, uncircumcised Philistine was a derogatory comment. I mean, that's, he's just, he's calling them out and he's just like talking smack, you know? His brothers see, you know, he overhear him and they're like, this little David, you know, talking smack. And they basically blow him off and just say, where are your sheep? Why don't you go back and take care of your sheep? You're not a warrior here. You don't belong. But David continued talking smack. He's like, come on, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Well, people overhear it, and they go and tell the king. They tell king, Saul. So Saul calls David in. Come, come here, I need to talk to you, boy. And verse 32, he says, David said to Saul, so then, yeah, David responds to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. I wonder if his voice had even changed yet. Don't you worry about this little boy. This, I'm going to go fight him. I just came to think about that. Anyway, so Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. Your voice hasn't even changed yet. And he has been a warrior from his youth. It didn't actually say that part. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. 
struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now at that point, I think that Saul really is just saying, go ahead, boy. You know, you're going to get killed today. May God be with you because, man, you have no chance against this giant. Well, David does it. Now, this is the story. This is the story that we all know, uh, starting with verse 40. I just love this part. David then took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with the shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you have come at me with sticks? So he's got a javelin, he's got a spear, he's got a sword, he's got a shield, he's got all this armor on, and he's coming out, and David's got nothing but a stick. You know, just, just imagine that. He's like, am I a dog that you're going to come out here and try to hit me with a stick? And the Philistine despised him. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. And those are some fighting words. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine and killed him. The end. That's a great story. <laughs> Love that story. So today's message is titled, David and Goliath, the Ultimate Underdog Story. And I believe there are some things in this story that will help us as we navigate the culture around us. And we need to be fearless, and we need to be willing to take risks, and I think we can learn from this. So I'll give you a couple of points that you can fill in on your handout, but first of all, let me pray. So God, we come to you and we thank you for the story of David and the story of David and Goliath. And Lord, we thank you for empowering him to win so that we know we have a chance against the giants in our lives too. So Lord, I pray that today his fearlessness would rub off on us, God. Let your Holy Spirit come. Speak to our hearts and minds, Father, I pray. And Lord, I pray that you would give me your words to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so you can fill this in on your handout if you would like. First point, David had courage to risk big in battle because he had developed his skills. He had developed his skills. So David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Here's a picture of the kind of sling that they used during that time. It had you know, a string with a pocket for the stone. And they would take this sling and they would do most likely an underhand motion like a fast, like a slow pitch or a fast pitch softball player. And they would sling this and it would come out of the sling going about 60 miles an hour at least. And they didn't use like little rocks shown in there. They had like either golf ball sized or baseball sized rocks. I mean, these were some pretty big stones and they were incredibly accurate. This was not a toy. They actually went into battle with these. They would be those who were trained with slings and they would go into battle because they could sling these rocks 60 miles an hour and hit targets 100 yards or 200 yards away. But it took an incredible amount of practice. Well, David was not a warrior. As far as we know, he had never been trained formally for battle. But what David did have, he had an incredible amount of time. An incredible amount of time. In those days, the youngest son was stuck being the shepherd. I'm sure he was praying that his dad would have another kid, but it just didn't seem to happen. So David was the shepherd boy. And so he would stay out with these sheep day after day after day. And by the way, you know how exciting it is to watch sheep? Let me show you. This is what you do. That's, that's how exciting it is to watch sheep. You don't do much. You might lead them around a little bit, but you have all this time on your hands. Well, for David to be that accurate, because if you think about this giant who's nine feet, nine inches tall, he's running into battle to see him, and the only really exposed skin on him at all is his head, and to hit that target so hard that it crushes his skull, he had to be incredibly accurate, and it must have taken a lot of practice. So David didn't waste that time. When he was out being a shepherd, watching the sheep, you know, he probably set up beer cans and threw rocks at them. No, it probably wasn't beer cans, but he probably set up targets, you know, from far away, and he would practice, and he would practice, and he would practice, and he would practice. So here's a question for us. What skills do I have that need to be developed? What skills do you have that need to be developed? David had the skill of using a sling, but he had to develop it. He had to develop it. And if we are going to do great things for God, we need to develop the skills that we have now. David had developed this skill to incredible precision and strength. And he had no idea that one day he would take out Goliath with it. So we need to be developing our skills now. 
not even knowing where God is going to use them or when God is going to use them later. Wednesday night, we had a spirit, Developing Your Spiritual Gifts workshop, and we had almost 40 people that attended that. And I was super excited about that because we had so many people that were there wanting to know what spiritual skills, what gifts God had given them, and learning about them. And then one of the challenges was we need to now start developing these skills. We need to start using these skills because we don't know where God's going to use them one day. David's practice paid off. And because he practiced, he was able to do an amazing thing later on. And that applies to us. This is your other fill-in. Practicing now opens the door to great things later. Practicing our skills, whatever they are. Let's hone our skills. Let's develop our skills. Because you never know when God is going to ask us to use them. By the way, I was thinking about this. If David hadn't practiced those skills to that level of precision, do you think God would have called him into battle? I mean, he wouldn't have called him in there to and miss, right? And then get killed. That's not quite, it's not as good of a story. But it was because he had practiced that God says, hey, I can use him. Hey, I can use you. Oh, you're developing that. I can use that. That's when he calls us in. That's when he calls us in. So David had courage to risk big in battle because he had developed his skills. Number two, David had courage to risk big in battle because he had taken risks before. He had taken risks before. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David had incredible confidence. He believed that he could kill Goliath. And I believe he had that confidence because he had risked before. When he was asked, like, why do you think you can do this? This was his response in verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. Then it turned on me. I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And verse 37 is really key. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And I want us to think about that for a moment because, you know, David's a shepherd. He's just sitting there, bored, watching the sheep, and then a lion comes. A lion. Okay, we're talking about like a, a lion. It it comes, it grabs a sheep and then takes off and drags the sheep away. If I was the shepherd, I would say, all right, we got one less sheep, all right? We're not going to tell mom and dad about that. We're just going to kind of move on over here. Let's all move over here. And a bear comes. I mean, a bear. I won't even go hunting. I like to deer hunt, but I won't hunt bears because I've heard too many stories about them like still attacking the person. You know, even after you're shooting them, they still attack the person who's shooting them. So I'm afraid of bears and lions, both of them. Well, that's not what David did. I mean, again, this is a 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old boy. He sees a lion. It grabs a sheep. It drags the sheep off. He runs after it with a stick. <laughs> and he hits the lion. He hits the bear on the head. It drops the, the sheep, and it turns 
on David, attacking David. And David, it says he grabbed it by the hair and he struck it. I don't know if he was hitting with a stick or he had a knife, but he killed the lion and the bear. I mean, that's, no one was there to see this. But he was doing the right thing. He was taking risks. And after that lion and that bear's dead, he probably had one of those moments where he's like, what am I, what was I thinking? <laughs> and then he realized that God rescued me. God protected me. And he had this inner confidence inside of him like, man, I can, I can do this. I mean, a lion can't stand against me with God's help. A bear can't stand against me. Taking risks, no matter how small they may be, set us up for success later. As I was putting this together, I was thinking, okay, Lord, what, what risks have I taken? And I, the biggest risk that I think I've ever taken was to quit my job at a former church and uh, to come plant a church over here in Elkhart two, a couple years ago without any guarantee of a salary, uh, without any guarantee of success. It was just one of those, okay, God, you're calling us to do this. And, and I was a little worried at the time. I'll just be honest. I'm like, Lord, we do have bills. You know, we have to eat and do these kinds of things. And at that time, God reminded me, he said, hey, haven't, haven't I rescued you before? And I was taken back to a time 11 years earlier when I was working a corporate job at Memorial Hospital. And God had called me to quit that job to go on staff at the other church. And it was a pretty significant pay cut. And at that time, I was like, oh, Lord, the salary's not going to be as high. How are we going to make it? How are we going to pay the bills? And God completely took care of us. We never went without through that whole time. And so when I'm now faced with a bigger risk of like no salary, not a little one, just none at all, um, I was able to take that risk because, hey, he took care of me before. He took care of me before. And so David, the same thing. He's like, I killed a lion, I killed a bear. Yeah, this is a big risk, but God was with me then. He'll be with me now. Guys, when we are faced with risks, no matter how small they are, we need to take them on. We need to see our God take care of us and deliver us now. Because when we can take those small risks now, it helps us to have the courage and the faith to take the bigger risks later. Luke 16.10 says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. So God, God wants us to step out, to start that process. I'd say, I mean, even using the story of Desmond Doss, you know, climbing up that ridge and taking that risk to save those men. I can guarantee you that wasn't the first risk that he took. He joined the army. He said, I will not fire a gun. He took the abuse of that. You know, he was taking small risks for God all the way along. And that's the way it works in our lives. So you can write this in. Doing big things for God starts with doing little things for God. If we're ever going to 
take those big risks, we need to be willing to take the small risks now. Um, I didn't say this in the first service, but I think God just impressed it on me. There may, there may be someone here today when God has asked you to step out and take a risk, your immediate response has been no. Um, and I want to challenge you, this, is, this challenge is for all of us, the next risk that God asks you to take, say yes. Just decide in your heart today. I'm going to be a yes man. I'm going to be a yes woman when it comes to God asking me to step out and take a risk. David had courage to risk big in battle because he had taken risks before. Here's our last point. David had courage to risk in battle because it was a righteous cause. It was a righteous cause. David had said, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. See, David knew that the country of Israel and the Israelite army were God's chosen people, his special possession, his children. And David knew that by defending them, he would have God on his side. When we fight for righteous causes, we can trust that God is going to be on our side. We can trust that. So I was thinking today, I was thinking, okay, what are, or this week, what are some righteous causes that, that we can fight for, that we, can, we just know that God will be on our side. And the first one that came to my mind was uh, fighting for widows and orphans. That's a righteous cause. James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now this includes children in the foster care system. And by the way, some friends of mine, Steve and Sarah Truex, raise your hands. They're some of my real-life heroes because they are foster parents. And uh, if you want to know anything about the foster care system, talk to them. They're amazing. And you've taken a few risks on that, right? <laughs> but when you fight for orphans, man, that's a righteous cause. When you fight against the sex... Uh, slavery that's happening with our children today. Man, that's a righteous cause. And when you do that, you can trust that God will be on your side. Another righteous cause is fighting to help the poor. Proverbs 31.9 says, Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And we fight to help the poor, to defend the poor. And that's a righteous cause. And God will be on your side. Now, recently, this very divisive topic of racial injustice and immigration, that shouldn't be divisive. God makes it pretty clear where he stands on this. Leviticus 19 says, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So when people are different than us, they have different color skin, they speak a different language, they have a different culture, and when they are mistreated and we defend them, that's a righteous cause. Standing for justice in those cases is a righteous cause. 
And lastly, how about fighting for the unborn? Proverbs 31.8 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Man, I am convicted by this one. Because those babies who are in the womb, who are aborted, thousands of them every year, they can't speak for themselves. Their voice can't be heard. We need to be a voice for those who cannot speak for themselves. That's a righteous cause. And there are many, many others. Righteous cause. And if you have a question, you're like, well, I don't know if this is a righteous cause or not. Look in Scripture. If you can find a verse that justifies it, that supports it, then most likely that's a righteous cause. And when you fight, when you take a risk for a righteous cause, you can trust that God will be on your side. David knew that. David knew that. This is your last fill-in. A just cause makes our risk right. I didn't know a better way to say that, but when we fight for a just cause, man, it makes our risk worth it and makes it right. Makes it right. So David had courage to risk big in battle because it was a righteous cause. To close, I'm going to hand uh, ministry time to the beacon over to Katie, and I'm going to invite Lyndon to come up here and lead us in a time of prayer. Thank you. Thanks, Clint. It was bugging me that that wasn't in the center this whole time. Not really. All right, so, man, I, I feel like God is telling me to press in a little more to the whole risk thing. What is that risk that you have either already said no to or you're contemplating you, you feel like you have this risk that God is asking you to do, and you're feeling, oh, I can't do that. That's too risky. That's too scary. And I want to push into that a little bit this morning because it's important. <laughs> you know, the story of David, I've never thought about it this way before, how Clint talked about it this morning of David. Um, he didn't just sit idle and lazily watch the sheep take care of the sheep. He practiced. He honed his skills. And so when the day came to take that risk, he was ready. God gave him the strength that he needed because of all that hard work he put into it. So, and it's easy to sit idle and watch the world go by. But if God is asking you to take a risk, whether it's to stop and talk with someone that you don't know, because you just feel like God wants them to be encouraged. Oh, really? Why do I want to stop and talk to someone I don't know? What, what if you want me to pray for them? That's uncomfortable. <laughs> or maybe God's asking you to pay for someone's groceries at the grocery store. Or share your love for Jesus with a coworker who you know doesn't know Jesus. Uh, that, that can feel risky. 
Or maybe it's maybe it's bigger. Maybe it's maybe God's asking you to be a foster parent. Or quit your job to become a pastor. It doesn't always make sense either. But God's not asking you to make sure that it makes sense first, right? Risks don't always make sense. And that's okay. So we've we've talked about this a bit this morning. What is God asking me to risk? And Clint even spoke to it a little bit. It's next time say yes. So I'm going to ask that in a minute here, if you're feeling that you're convicted by, I need to say yes to that risk. Or I'm sorry for saying no already. How many times to this risk God has asked me to do, and I'm going to say yes. In a minute, I want you to stand and we're going to pray for you. Okay, so if God is talking to you this morning and you're feeling convicted, that, yeah, that's me. I need encouragement. I need strength. We're here as a body. You're not alone. We're all going to pray for you, okay? By your admitting that I need strength in this. I need courage to take that risk, okay? To be the David, and when all odds are against me, I'm going to step in and take that risk, okay? So if that's you right now, I just ask you to stand. Standing is a risk, too. It gives me strength to see that we are able to do that. Thank you for standing. Anyone else? our hands out and we pray for others, okay? Let's do that this morning. You look around and see who's standing. Let's reach out. Let's pray for strength, okay? For our brothers and sisters in Christ. God, this morning we come to you and we ask you for strength. God, we ask that you would give those standing the extra strength that they need to say yes to you, God. I will take that risk. And maybe the risk that we've said no to already. How many times? God, I ask that you would redeem that and show us that it's it's okay. You still love us. You still trust us. We're, we're humans but you can give us the strength that we need to stand and take the rest that we need to take. Because when we do that, awesome things happen, God. And I pray that over these folks right now, Lord. You guys can all stand.
Um, <clears throat> so Jeff had a word that he wanted to share um, with me for all of you, is that if you've taken a risk before and fell flat on your face, and you're just like, I'm not sure I want to take a risk again, uh, Jeff wants to pray for you. It'll just be over here on the on my right, your left, over here after service. And if you need prayer for anything else, just come up front, sit in the front row, and a prayer team member will pray with you. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that is true. And I thank you, God, for your spirit that empowers us, encourages us, and sends us off, Lord. And I pray that we would leave here today uh, emboldened and equipped and ready to risk everything for you, God. So go with us as we leave, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. And again, if you want more prayer, feel free to come on up here after service. Have a great week. Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofinner.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.